Hey, welcome to California Haunts Radio tonight. It's a great Monday, Sacramento. We've cooled down a little bit. We're down to a whole 90 degrees, but let me tell you, it feels like with a breeze, so it feels like I'm in a freezer when I'm outside. Ah, just kidding. Anyways, you can tell I still have my uh, my air conditioning going, and uh, it's kind of nice to be in a room with air conditioning with all this, but um, Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Charlotte. I didn't even say my name right. We'll move on. Anyway, my name is Charlotte. I'm your host for the next hour. And uh, I am also the owner and operator of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team at www.californiahaunts.org. We are 35 strong up and down the state of California. We have some people in Washington, Oregon, and Hawaii. Anyway, we have a great show for you. Our good friend, Kathleen Mard, is back to talk to us about UFOs and abductions and all that fun stuff. So I've been looking forward to the show for a while and I'm just so glad she got to come back, you know, come back on with us. Um, big announcement, uh, Wednesday, I was going to do my, my, I appreciate the show on Friday and I was going to show it on the 28th, but that got moved because of another guest coming on. So that's going to be on Wednesday. So I'll give you some more details at the end of the, at the end of this show as to how you can find that show because that's going to be a pre-taped one that I recorded. It's, it's something you should watch. That's all I'm going to tell you. I'll give you more details after this show's over because I don't want to take away from the show because <laughs> this is going to be a great show. But uh, just bear that in mind. Anyway, without further ado, let me bring Kathleen in. Hello. Hello, Charlotte. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. Nice to see you again. It's great to see you too. Thank you. So what's been going on in your world? Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, you know, the, uh, the government is supposedly going to give us the information that it knows on the 25th or before. The 25th is coming right up. And uh, I, if they're past disclosure is any indication of what they're going to do now. Uh, they're, they're not going to reveal very much at all. They may end up slamming the lid shut again, just like they've done over and over and over. And I'm just holding my breath that they don't drag out the CIA paid uh, disinformants again who are going to say nasty things about people like me and and my colleagues, which uh, they're they're quite well trained at doing, and uh, they they're trained very well at, at taking 
very good UFO and contact cases and uh, putting a new spin on them to turn them into something completely different than what really happened and uh, insulting people, doing character assassinations, all of those fun little things. So we'll just have to wait and see if that's the next trick around the corner. I was going to say, because to me, they're not going to say, I, I mean, I, I don't know why the government would even do that because, you know, there's the majority of the population that believes in that stuff, but then you got right. the other half of the population that doesn't, that will freak out. Right. <laughs> so they're kind of copying, even if they wanted to say something, they couldn't. Um, well, that's true because it is their job uh, to keep stability in the body politic. And in order to do that, they have to make us feel comfortable and safe. And we have the entire Southern United States, practically, who are fundamentalist Christians or born-again Christians, right. whose ministers are telling them that if there's anything here besides humans, they have to be demons. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this happened back in 1947 when Kenneth Arnold, in late June 1947, uh, saw flying disks in the Cascade Mountains in Washington. He was flying out to Olympia. And uh, he was a, a prominent businessman. He sold firefighting equipment. He drove his private plane. And when he was up there in the air, he saw these discs. He was able to record later their speed. He, he uh, calculated how far they traveled from mountain peak to mountain peak, what the distance was and how quick they were going. It, uh, they definitely were not birds or airplanes or anything like that. And this news spread across the United States. People were excited. There were a lot of reports that week, and uh, it was in the newspapers. And then ministers started to tell their congregations that this signaled the end of the earth. So what do you think happened? Roger Ramey of the 8th Air Force and his counterintelligence officer held a press conference and told everyone not to worry. It was only weather phenomena, even though it was traveling at anywhere from 2,000 to 4,000 miles per hour in 1947. Oh, I know. You know, and, you know, I, I, I believe in having an open mind. That's what I do as an investigator. You mm -hmm. know, and I've talked to people that believe that these aliens are angel you know our fallen angels in, in this and you know that that that's that, that's up to them to believe that's fine but i tend to agree with you that uh that it's, it's the, the the plausibility of it just isn't there because there's just so much technology put in you know put into this stuff that mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense i mean the angels and all of them have been around us for years. Remember, remember your mom's stories, right? You got the good angel over here, and you've got the, the, the devils over here on this side. And they're both battling back and forth on your shoulders. So everybody's known that the good and evil's been here. So why would they have to come in the form of aliens? True. I, I, I agree with you. And why would they carry out scientific procedures? Mm -hmm. 
Um, they, we do have reports of uh, people who believe that they're being visited or taken by horrific people. They're, they're taken to places under the earth that uh, sound as close to hell as anything I've ever heard of. And uh, so they, you know, they, they have, unfortunately, these negative entity attachments. They're not yes. extraterrestrials. They're negative entities that attach to them and suck the life force out of them. They, these entities feed off fear. They make mm -hmm. people sick. They, they can take a person's life eventually if they don't have the attachments removed. But the good news is the attachments can be removed right. by uh, shamans, by priests, by uh, certain ministers. There is help for people. And there is even a paranormal clergy. Are you aware of that? I am aware of that. Yes. In fact, I work. In fact, I, I, I get along really good with the Mr. With Bishop Long. Uh-huh. Great. You know, um, I was just going to say along with that, and, and what people don't realize is these negative entities. Also, if you have an illness or aches and pains in your body, that's what they're going to go after. Yes. You they know, want, go ahead. They grow from your pain. Yeah. That's why one of the big things with ghost hunters is that if you're feeling ill or if you have, you know, that day, you know, that particular day, you're, you're not supposed to go out and ghost hunt because the, that's the first thing to go after. And if uh, another thing that can cause this is if you are already injured and you're taking opioids, they will go after you. If you are uh, suffering from depression, they mm -hmm. will go after you. If you um, are an alcoholic, if you drink more than two drinks, it lowers your vibrational frequency, which mm -hmm. puts it at a lower level where these lower level entities reside. So it's easy for them to attach to you. And uh, I'm not against drinking alcohol, a couple of drinks is fine, but if, uh, most alcoholics I have read uh, 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 probably uh, have attachments. Yeah, absolutely. They, they feed off their pain. I just saw a TV show. I'm really into watching Aliens in Alaska. Uh -huh. I think that show is like the coolest show. You know, when they're all running around talking about the lights in the skies and all this. Now, that is like the greatest show I've watched. There was a gentleman on there who had a bump on his leg. It was towards the back of the leg, and he couldn't figure out what it was. It was the size of a BB. Mm -hmm. And when they ran a radio meter, or EMF meter rather, over it, it was off the charts. Mm -hmm. So the doctor went in, removed the thing, and it had to be just, like, like he said, a little bigger than a BB. Mm -hmm. And the doctor couldn't get over it because once he had it in the test tube and he ran the EMF meter over it, it was still going off. It was still emitting. Did you see? Did you see? Did you see that? I haven't seen that show. No, I haven't seen. Yeah. it. My you husband usually controls the remote. <laughs> <laughs> you should check that show out. There's some really good. There's some really really good stuff on there. What do you know about alien implants? Um, alien implants uh, have been with us for quite a long time. Uh, we used to think that they were used as tracking devices. Well, they can find mm -hmm. people 
whether they have the implants or not. But the, the implants have special properties. First of all, you usually cannot find the entry point. There's usually not a scar where the implant is. I believe that they have intelligence because I have seen them moving up the arm of two individuals who had just received them through their hands when they were taken to craft. And they go travel up the arm and then they just disappear. Um, so I, they seem to have intelligence and, and can move wherever they're told, which wouldn't be surprising, you yeah. know, considering the technology. Um, they are coated with a very uh, tough uh, kind of surface coating. And, and it's even hard for a scalpel to break through that. Um, when a, a doctor goes to remove them, they are connected to uh, the proprioceptive nerves, uh, oh. nerve endings. So you have on each side of that implant, it's, it's connected to the nervous system. Um, the uh, Dr. Roger Lear, who uh, the late Roger Lear, who used to remove implants, uh, in one of them detected uh, radio microwave frequency that uh, played in deep space, transmitted in deep space. Um, there was another one that. Uh, stopped working uh, like a month after it was taken out. There was a time period and then it stopped working. Um, they are uh, made of um, sometimes meteoric material and rare earths and sometimes crystalline structures. Their nanotechnology is far in advance of anything that we have on this planet. And I believe that uh, they have three purposes. One could be to, to find people. Um, another one is for communication. Mm -hmm. When experiencers can uh, talk with one another, uh, they can oftentimes hear a very high-pitched sound in their heads. And uh, so... Uh, and a tingling sensation in their bodies that I, I think might be related to an implant. Right, because the nerve connection. Yes. And uh, also, what else was I gonna say? Uh, oh, the, the, the third thing, um, to, to be able to keep track of the health of the human body because they care about the people that they are taking and doing these scientific uh, studies on generationally. And so uh, many people have been healed. Uh, in MUFON's study, when we asked the abductee group uh, if they had been healed by ETs, 45% stated that they had. It was only 10% of the overall experiencer population. It was about the same percentage in freeze, the Edgar Mitchell freeze study, which I also worked on the first uh, phase one of. Yeah, so they're very, very interesting. 
And I think that our, our uh, medical people now are attempting to develop that kind of technology. I'll tell you, I was talking to my doctor um, a year or two ago, and I was concerned because my father and my grandmother both had dementia. And so I was worried, this is going to happen to me. And my doctor said, don't worry, by the time you would need it, we would have an implant that we could use and you would be just fine. So apparently they're, they're working on that kind of technology here now. And maybe, maybe it's based on the implants that they have. Mm -hmm. See, I have the same worry because that runs on my mother's side, I think, in the family. So that's been bothering me too because I'm here alone. And, you know, what if I start to find God on stuff, you know, and it just, it just makes me nervous. Yeah. It makes me nervous. Yeah. I remember reading a lot of implants. Uh, yeah. I read, in fact, when you were talking about the health thing, the, uh, I had read stuff about that where, where people were coming back cured of their ailments. See right now they could take me, fix my heart, fix my back. I'd be good. I wouldn't <laughs> mind having alien children if they'd fix my, you know, um, <laughs> I could come Not back healthy. Answer, <laughs> I'd be like, take me. It's all good. Fix me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, last time you were here, we talked about Betty and Barney Hill, but we decided this time to talk about some of your experiences and, and what you've discovered via, you know, working with MUFON. Mm -hmm. So what, you know, um, I know there's, there's similarities in a lot of these abductions and there's also non-similarities in some of the abductions, correct? Yes. Uh, you know, er early on, the early researchers, the pioneers, thought that every abduction experience was precisely the same. The craft was, was set up precisely the same, uh, regardless of the type of entity involved, um, that people would turn left or turn right or do this or do that, um, that they would be put on a table, they would be given a mind scan, uh, they uh, would receive some uh, education there, they would take flesh samples or insert uh, a, uh, a needle into your navel or uh, insert an implant or uh, show you on a screen or uh, in a vision uh, a dis destruction. They would show like atomic wars, nuclear wars. They would show a barren planet. Um, and so the early researchers thought that that meant that this was going to happen to our planet. But I started thinking that's not necessarily so. Maybe that's what happened to their planet. And now um, we, we are wondering if that hybridization program that they were doing is over. Uh, the team, I've, I've stepped down as the director of MUFON's experience or resource team. I just uh, am really pressed for time right now. But it's a 45 person team. There are five psychotherapists and uh, well, three and, and two psychiatrists. Uh, on that team to, as consultants to the team. And what we know, and in my studies, which have been independent, I've done very few for MUFON, I've been an independent researcher, 
an investigator for 30 plus years. But uh, what we uh, discovered and, and more recently is that people are giving, being given information. Uh, there's no reason to take uh, older people, people 50, 60, 70 years old, no reason to take them to do reproductive experiments. Right. <laughs> so, but they're receiving information now, which was is a very good thing. And they're being healed from uh, things like cancer and heart disease. See, that's why I need to go. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I was healed. Um, and I can tell you about that if you, you want to hear it. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, you do this and I'm going to be camping out in my backyard. <laughs> okay. So um, uh, in, in 2012, I was working on a study of experiencers. It was the first study that I did. And Denise Stoner and I did this together. It was a small study. And we were looking for commonalities among experiencers and abductees that uh, the general population doesn't share. And a man from Australia contacted me. He took part in the study. And he told me that he has been uh, speaking to extraterrestrials for a very long time. He's a medium and he talks to them uh, as a medium. Mm -hmm. So he said, finally, after we spoke back and forth for a while, would you like to speak with Keek, who is a little gray alien? And, and I said, sure. <laughs> Why not? Gosh, this is my opportunity. And so I did. And I, I enjoyed speaking with him, asking my questions and receiving the answers that he had. And then... One of those times I spoke to him more than once, I said to him, you know, I have been ill. I've been ill for a long time with chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome. And I was disabled. I had to leave my profession uh, in order to, uh, be, because of this, I couldn't work. This is what actually brought me into uh, as being a UFO researcher. And so uh, I said, will you please heal me? Well, I didn't even know if Paul Hamden was legitimate, never mind Keek. Mm -hmm. But so I didn't really expect anything to happen. But three or four nights later, I woke up during the night with just the most incredible pain I've ever had. In fact, I woke my husband up and I, I said, you might have to take me to the hospital. I, this pain is just overwhelming through my body. And I was like tingling all over too, that like prickling, electrical prickling feeling. And uh, so I said, okay, I will just lie here and, and I'll let you know if you need to call an ambulance. And the next thing I knew, I was on craft. I guess it was on craft. I was in a new environment. I was on a table. There were two tall glowing entities by my head. If there were more than that, I wasn't aware of it because I wasn't moving my head around. This was just through my peripheral vision. And 
I was still having that tingling and that pain. And I was told that I had to endure it because it was part of the healing process. And uh, they showed me, and I still don't know if it was a vision or if it was a chart or what it was, but it was an outline of the human body that I thought was my body. And I could see like little energy things running through the periphery. And then my internal organs, certain organs were highlighted in mint green and and light pink. And I, this is really, this is really strange, but um, the next thing I knew, I was back in my bed and I was waking up with these memories in the morning and my husband remembered me waking him up and, and you know telling him he might have to take me to the hospital but when i woke up i felt like i was 23 years old again i mean i was i didn't hurt anywhere i've had so much energy it was wonderful and i haven't had a relapse since that day wow what did yeah. your doctor say um <laughs> I don't dare to tell my doctor. Well, no. I mean, did the I mean, did the doctor notice a difference in you when when you went? Well, I said, I guess I've gotten over this. <laughs> I did talk to a medical doctor who yeah. is a ufologist too, so he knows the story about me, and and he he wanted to know what organs, where the organs were that were highlighted in these different colors. I told him. And he said, those are the organs that are involved in the condition that you have. And he said, chronic fatigue and immune dysfunction syndrome is exhaustion at a cellular level. And it affects those organs in the body. So I was, I was healed. And so I started to tell other experiencers that I spoke with that they should ask for healing if they were ill. I had one man who... Uh, Jim Schaefer, who let me use his name, and he was from Winnipeg, and I was uh, actually the MUFON investigator that investigated his UFO sighting way back in 2012 or 13, and then he contacted me not long after that and told me that he thought he'd been abducted, and so uh, he started collecting evidence. I taught him how to collect evidence. And, and all of that is in my book, Extraterrestrial Contact, What to Do When You've Been Abducted. But so Jim began the process of collecting evidence. Uh, he had an implant removed and had it sent to MUFON for uh, this protocol you have to follow, you have to get permission, your own doctor has to remove it and you pay for it, that sort of thing. But uh, was sent to MUFON headquarters and then on to our uh, scientist who studies these things. And um, by the time she opened this vial, it was protected by uh, dry ice and, and in a vial in blood that the doctor had put there. Roger Lear always said, put it in bodily fluids uh, because you can trick it. So it won't self-destruct because they were beginning to self-destruct. Mm -hmm. Well, by the time the scientists dumped it out, all that was there is blood and clotted blood. There, 
it had dissolved apparently. And a week or so later, there was uh, another state director in MUFON who said, we have to get to this to the lab immediately. We can't follow our usual protocols because I'm watching this dissolve in front of my eyes. So apparently they are trying to discourage us from uh, getting implants and uh, getting them removed, I mean. But to get back to uh, Jim, uh, he had gotten in touch with me and uh, he had a diagnosis of lymphoma. And he had been before a team of oncologists. I had his, uh, some of his medical records. I knew that this was true. And I also notified this medical doctor that I told you about before. He has his more complete records. Well, um, so Jim, I said to Jim, um, first of all, uh, do you believe in God? And he said, yes. And I said, well, let's cover all bases. So I, I and, and you, the two of us should pray to God and ask for your healing. And I said, and also, I know that the ETs will heal their own. So um, please, if you're willing to uh, send telepathic messages to your ETs several times a day, because they're probably listening. And so he did. And not too long after that, maybe a couple of weeks later, uh, he sent me a video. And this video uh, showed an orb sliding down from his ceiling, down the wall, stopping, and then um, like flying like a butterfly across the room. It was beautiful a white orb with a beautiful baby blue halo around it. Uh -huh. And it went across the room. He was lying down, taking video of all of this. And it put out beautiful iridescent tendrils and it dove down into his body. He slept for 12 hours. And when he woke up the next day, those nodes that had been highly visible on his neck, he sent me a photograph, were not even visible at all. And by the time he went in and had them removed, they removed four tiny necrotic nodes. Necrotic means they're dying. Right. And uh, they were not cancerous. He was now cancer-free. So that was a very good thing. Wow. Wow. Now you're going to, now, you know what, because I don't know if I had been abducted years ago, but I suspect I did. I was because mm -hmm. I lost time. In fact, the story is a friend and I were, I used to work weird hours. I'm a newspaper reporter as an editor. Mm -hmm. So the shift I was on was we were supposed to be out the door by seven 30, but of course the newspaper never, you know, never sleeps. Mm -hmm. So we would end up going to movies at like 1130 at night because, you know, that was the last showing for the night. So uh, we had to go out probably about 30 miles out, no, maybe 15 miles out of Sacramento to go to go this movie. And we're driving down this freeway. And it was our, one of our older freeways. And as a kid, I used to, my dad always had hatchbacks, right? Mm -hmm. So I would lay in the back of the hatchback and I'd be looking up, you know, and all the bridges were covered in these vines as a kid. Of course, they since cleaned them off and put new bridges in. As we're driving, I start to notice that the, the freeway changes in front of me. Mm-hmm. 
and I see these vines on the bridges. Mm-hmm. Like I went back in time. And I'm looking out. All of a sudden it gets dark. I'm looking out. At the, it should be city, city lights all the way out there. I'm mm-hmm. looking out. There's no lights at all. I, we come to, it's an hour later. I wouldn't say come to, but reality comes back. It's like an hour later. Mm-hmm. We're sitting in a town that's, that's, that's 20 miles beyond where we should be. Oh, wow. And we have no clue how we got there. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe I should start communicating with yeah, the aliens right. to fix me, man. I want to get fixed. You can. <laughs> you know, um, they, they are able to man- manipulate time and space. And to them, uh, it's, time is not linear the way it is mm-hmm. to us either. And, and it is almost like going into uh, a time warp in a, in a sense. Uh, I have spoken with people who have been returned at an hour before they were taken. Oh, wow. It doesn't make any sense. It can be really uh, you know, unbelievable sounding, but there's no reason to doubt the people who, who said that. Um, so, and, and I have, I don't think I told you this, but uh, one of the top investigators on MUFON's experience research team uh, is from California. And he, when he joined the team, really wanted to have an abduction experience himself. So he would know what it was like. And he he wished so hard he got it, <laughs> you might say. Um, he, he lives in the city and uh, the houses are close together, only like an alley between them. But his, he's in bed with his wife. He sees the wall. There's a, a light first that comes through. And then they see the wall open up and they see another room. That room is so large, it couldn't possibly fit into that alleyway. Mm-hmm. And then they, uh, these entities come and they step into his environment. They go to where he is on the bed. They, he then becomes paralyzed. Um, they do something to him. He's not sure if they took blood or, or what they did. They said, did some kind of procedure. At this point, he is terrified. He's <laughs> thinking that he really shouldn't have hoped to have this experience <laughs> so hard. But now he has such insight uh, when he works with experiencers. And and I think it's important if you're going to work with experiencers to really know what it feels like, to know what you've been through. And and you are so much more successful at helping others, I, I think. And so, uh, yeah, that was his one and only to now. But boy, he had quite a first experience with, but it, we gained a lot of insight into this where the wall just opened up and they stepped into his environment. They didn't take him to theirs. See, this is what, after reading a lot of these abduction stories and, and the after, you know, the after stuff that, you know, that, 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 ha- that has happened to people, 
as a ghost hunter, it made me wonder if we were actually, if people were actually seeing ghosts, or they were seeing. You know, they were seeing these aliens because, you know, they have the capability of walking through walls. You know, they, they, they create orbs. They do this. And, you know, and who knows with these EVPs we get, because a lot of the EVPs we get, some of them sound mechanical like, like they're from a different dimension. So mm-hmm. are we really talking to deceased loved ones or are we actually talking to these aliens that are trying to communicate with us? And what's to say that these aliens aren't living in a different dimension? Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of them say that they're fifth and sixth dimension. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that could be. And I I don't know if I told you this either, but um, one of the best cases that I've had recently was uh, three people who were abducted. Two of them were paranormal ex- investigators. Um, they were one from North Carolina, the other from Georgia. And... They had contacted me uh, wanting to know if I could refer them to a confirmed experience or abductee so that they could go onto that property and do their research. And so they were looking for EVPs from ETs. Um, They had a camera set up, uh, a Bell and Howell movie camera. Uh, They were highly professional. Um, One of them has a master's degree and worked at the university for her entire career in in the medical research department. The other one is a historian, and she does uh, the history on every place that they go to and all of the genealogy as well. And so they're all set up, everything set. They have their own cameras in their hands, their, um, their ghost boxes, everything. And Chris points to the experiencer, points to the moon and says, I believe that that's one of their craft coming in now. And so they're looking at it as it's growing larger and larger. And and Pam starts to ask questions and receives EVPs. And later hears humans, let's get them. That's what <laughs> and so they're they're doing this. The experiment is being carried out, and the next thing they know, they're reeling back and forth. They're feeling nauseated, and all of the equipment they've been holding is on the ground behind them. Wow! So they pick up everything. They go into the house, and Chris's wife says, where have you been? I've been looking for you. You weren't there. And they're, no, we were, we didn't go anyplace. (laughs) They did go someplace. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, I uh, had the opportunity to interview all three of these witnesses and uh, to have the two women uh, separately come and spend a weekend with me where I did uh, an, on, uh, an investigation again uh, of their entire lives. Mm-hmm. And then uh, hours of hypnosis off and on. I didn't just keep them under for hours, but uh, we did a lot of hypnosis as well. And uh, they, were, they weren't harmed, first of all. They weren't given physical examinations. 
they were put into uh, kind of like very, very comfortable beds. They were told that they were going to be taken someplace and the human body uh, was too dense to tolerate it well. So um, they were to lie down on these beds and something formed up around them and they just kind of fell asleep and their bodies were protected. Uh, these entities said that they jumped through time and space. They uh, landed at, at kind of a way station and the women believed that it was the moon. The, uh, and one didn't tell the other what was, they didn't know what the other one had said but they both described the same kind of glass-like uh, buildings with uh, almost like fluorescent lights, only tubing, tubing connecting them, and many kinds of entities inside. Um, the entities on the craft were human, for one, and then for another, uh, it was sort of, I, I don't, I'm not certain what it was, but it could have been a mantis type, a mantid entity, because one of them has had mantids that she loves come to her house a few times since then. Mm -hmm. And uh, the other one had human types, um, about six feet tall. They said that they had at one time lived on our planet and that there was an environmental collapse and they had the technology to move on. So it was highly, uh, highly technologically advanced in that time frame. Uh, but many people had to stay here. I guess it must've been only the wealthy or the powerful who could move on. Probably that's how it always works. Yeah, yeah isn't it? <laughs> so uh, they ended up uh, finding uh, a planet in a binary star system where it is twilight most of the time, but they spend most of their time traveling in space now. And they say they don't take anything from our planet, but they stop from time to time to check up on our development and to assist in our development. Now, two things I want to tell you. Both of these women thought that they were seeing ghosts in their homes when they were children. And this is why they became paranormal researchers. But they realized in hypnosis that they had been visited by these entities since they were children. They're not ghosts, they're extraterrestrials or whatever these, they say they're extraterrestrials. <laughs> and, and then on that Bell and Howell camera that I told you about, right. well, before that shut down, it was running for a few, well, maybe a couple of minutes. And it actually recorded these entities coming along a blue beam. And every so often there were, there were kind of like uh, sections of that beam that were blank. And there was an entity that was appeared to be dropping off it. And it was not solid when you saw it at first and it became denser, it materialized as it went closer to the ground, and I think increased in size too, because it seemed very small, 
first being an orb, I believe, because there were blue orbs around too, and then taking form and dropping off that beam. It's just amazing. But it is, and that, like I said, that's why I wonder, you know, ghost hunters, were. We're chasing the stuff, and that's why I wonder if what we're actually chasing is what we think we're chasing. Uh -huh. You know, after like, like after reading things like that, I was also thinking while you were talking about that, the way they had them travel, Travis Walton's case. Yes, when he found all the bodies up in you know up in whatever that pod thing was, and they were covered in stuff, and you know. Oh no, he didn't really find that though. That was okay. just a movie. Stupid movie. All right, they made it into a horror movie. Okay. He. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can purchase the film Travis, which is a documentary, and it's very, very well done. See, that's and, what I get for watching movies. And <laughs> yeah, Travis is a little upset about the fact that they turned it into a horror movie. Um, no, they, they, the entities uh, who took him onto the craft, he now believes, took him in order to save him because he had been uh, hit by that beam and... Uh, it threw him back about 12 feet. And I've walked on that land where he was taken. It's very rocky. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to be thrown back 12 feet. So he thinks that they took him to craft to heal him. Um, they docked with another larger craft. And there were these human types who were on that other craft. And they took him into a room and... Uh, that was the last thing he remembered. The next thing he knew, it was five days later. He didn't know it when he was dropped off, but they didn't put him down where they took him from, out in the woods on a logging contract. They sat him down just outside town and near a payphone. And it, this was in November that this happened, and this is in the mountains of Arizona. He would have frozen to death if he had uh, been put back on that site where they, they took him. So they were kind, he now believes, even though he was traumatized for many years. That's what seems to be happening. People began to wake up to the idea that these entities are not as horrific or exploitative as they at first thought. Now, um, in your studies and looking into this, are there nicer ones than others? Yes, there are. Um, and about 10% of the people say uh, on our studies say that they are evil or, um, you know, I'm trying to think of a term. Well, never, evil is good enough. <laughs> Malevolent, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, 10%. 20% um, believe that they're uh, having my lab abductions where uh, entities are working with the military mm -hmm. and, the, and then they get taken by the military and interrogated later. So that's not that much fun. <laughs> and well, which one? Um, which one? I mean, when people describe these things, I know we've got the, we got the mantis people, which would scare mm -hmm. the hell out of me, but apparently... I mean, which ones are the ones that, 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 that tend to be the more malevolent? The most malevolent are the draconian reptilians. Those are the ones that people say they were taken underground into caverns and, and horrible things were done to them and, and they witnessed horrible things being done. 
Um, so, but I don't think they're even extraterrestrials. We call them ETs, but it doesn't make sense to me that something that horrific and demonic would uh, travel the vast expanse of space to come here to torture humans. Yeah. You know, or rape humans. It's, it just doesn't make sense. I, I think that this is a, just a lower vibrational uh, kind of entity, maybe interdimensional, uh, maybe demonic, shape-shifting. I don't know. They've, but, yeah, they're, they're not good. I agree with you in that because it seems like with these abductions, like you say, they're helping us. They're, they might be studying us maybe. Mm -hmm. But they've never done anything like that. And if if you had a bunch of races that were doing this, and then you had this one race that was doing this, these other races would have a tendency to go after this race that's doing the bad stuff yeah. so that the reputation of, of, the, of, of the other ones don't get tarnished. So it's got to be something that's out of the control of the ETs. Mm -hmm. I believe that. And also, I unfortunately had my own experience where I was working with a man, um, just a very nice man, he seemed, but he was being having these horrific experiences, being taken to these underground places, um, witnessing things that were so bad, I'm, I can't repeat it. But he, uh, he was telling me about this, and I was thinking, I, maybe I shouldn't go any further with this. Mm -hmm. And... I did, though. I made that mistake. And he said something to me, and like I could feel a tingling, all of this positive essence leaving my body. It just all went. And then it was replaced with a, a dark cloud. And that very night, I went to bed, and my body started to ache. And I... I was having difficulty sleeping, and I, I had a crucifix, I had the holy water, I had everything, I was praying, it wasn't leaving me. These things can be really, I've read about them, can, can be really extremely difficult to get rid of. And uh, a lot of like rainbow healers, light workers have gotten attachments by them. I ended up with it might not have been an attachment, but it was pretty close to it. And it started whispering it or giving me a telepathic message of, uh, you know, you're going to die soon. Why don't you just do it? Nice. And I said, I've never, I've never thought of that before. And this is something externally that is trying to control me. And, um, I said, I have to get rid of this. I have a minister uh, friend, one of my best friends, uh, does this. She she can remove these entities. And uh, she wasn't going to be down to my ear. She lives in northern Florida for a while. And I really wanted to get rid of it faster. She tried to do it from a distance, but it was just too much. And so I contacted a man that I know who speaks with a council of eight. And um, the council knows me. And um, they said that they would protect me. And so I asked them for help. And 
immediately. I've, overnight, it was gone, never came back. So I'm really happy about that, I have to tell you. I can imagine. What do you say to people? I mean, if people are afraid to be abducted, you know, let, let, let's, I know this, this is like off-ball, but let's say you know, you're out camping somewhere and then you suddenly realize that, this is ha that, that there's a big chance, you see this thing in the sky and that there's a big chance that this is what's going to happen. How should people behave? How should people react? Send love. Take control of your emotions and send love to it. If you send love and it is a benevolent being, um, then even if they come and they land and they interact with you, um, it's going to be loving. If, it, if you send love and it's something that's negative, they're gonna go away. They, they're not going to be attracted to your love. So I say send love. It's very important. Are there a, okay? Are there a lot of uh, star children on the Earth, walking around? I believe that there are many hybrid children that we call star children. Right. That and and hybrid in the sense that uh, their genetics has been uh, upgraded, but they have human mothers and human fathers. I know many of these children and the parents, and I would never reveal who they are. Right. Um, but um, they're very gifted children, loving, highly intuitive or psychic. Uh, some uh, have telekinesis so that they can you know, turn on a TV set without moving, um, without the remote. They can turn on a microwave oven, that kind of thing, just uh, by concentrating on it. Um, some of them are healers. Uh, so, and, and then there are adult hybrids, too, who are healers and just very kind and, and gentle people. A lot of them work to heal animals. They're very good at communicating with other types of animals. That's cool. I knew a couple sisters years ago. You probably remember the sisters, Audrey, and I forget what the sisters, De Debbie, what the sisters Debbie, name. yes. I've had, I had them on a few times on my show, and I've seen them on TV off and on. And mm -hmm. I remember at first, you know, as an investigator, I was real cynical about stuff at first. So when I would listen to them, I would listen very intensely, but I would have to thinking, my gosh, is this, you know, what they're telling, you know, is this true what they're saying? Because back then, 11 years ago, I mean, that was like way out there, you know, when she said yeah. she was aboard the ship and she could see the baby, you know, the children aboard the ships and, and, and all this. Um, is their experience a normal, well, you can't say normal, but I mean, is their, their experience in line with everybody else's experience? Their experience is a little bit different from other people's. Um, part of it is consistent, but uh, also they have uh, something negative going on too that, uh, in their environment. And so I think that, you know, I'm not gonna say they're not having extraterrestrial right. contact. They, they could very well be having that. But the, uh, there seems to be a portal that's open that allows other um, interdimensionals to come in as well. And you know, that's, that presents a problem for a lot of experiencers that I've worked with. If that um, portal is not closed, 
and other entities work their way in through it. It's, it can be very problematic. What do you think is, because um, I know not, not one size fits all with you know, these abductions and stuff, but what do you think is the common thread with all these abductions that, that you've investigated? Uh, it seems to follow genetic lines. Okay. In, in our studies, more than 60% of the abductees were aware of family members who had been taken. Uh, they probably, uh, the percentage is probably higher than that, but a lot of families don't discuss it with, with other members. Um, so that's one. Uh, there's another commonality, the uh, RH negative uh, factor is uh, only about 15 to 16% in the general population. It's about 33% in the abductee population. So it's significantly elevated. Um, and experiencers of, of, especially the abductee groups, develop uh, some very positive characteristics over time, such as uh, psychic ability or intuitive ability. They become highly spiritual. 100% said they had an increased spirituality. Uh, they tend to, it increases their uh, intelligence level. They receive information that uh, wasn't taught to them here on earth. Um, they uh, become empathic. Uh, it's a psychic sense where they can uh, sense another person's emotions as if they were their own. And I think that uh, if the ETs have this plan to change humans, it's brilliant that they've thought of this because mm -hmm. we wouldn't be able to hurt other humans. And, you know, our major activity is tribal warfare. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that would be a real plus, I think, on our planet. And these ETs say that they're not going to uh, interact with us or elevate us to their level uh, until we mature as a species, that we're still a primitive species and uh, they, they do not like our warlike behavior. So um, I'm sure they're really thrilled with what happened this past year. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that must have gone over, you know, that must have gone over well. <laughs> yeah. I never asked you what you thought of the footage that the, that the Navy got. What does that look like to you? Oh, it just uh, uh, different types of craft and uh, just coming up from uh, possibly an underwater base. And the Tic Tac was really interesting to me because it can hover in the air at 80,000 feet stationary for hours on end. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. It dropped to 20,000 feet in a second or two, uh, and whatever is piloting it is not harmed. So they have to have uh, overcome the uh, force of gravity and uh, the centrifugal force that would uh, destroy the human body unless it was protected by new, this new technology. 
And then it can drop to 50 feet above the ocean churn and bounce back and forth like a ping pong ball over the water and over another craft underneath the water that's larger than an aircraft carrier as if it's communicating with it. That's what the Navy pilots believed. Um, so, you know, I just think that that is really pretty amazing. You know, it's, uh, I'm glad that they, they have the film of it, the radar film, and then the, the radar film of the other types of craft, the, mm -hmm. the oval uh, with the little things sticking up from the top of it. Well, we have photographs dating back to the early 1950s of that kind of craft. It's, it looks just like it to me. In fact, I show that and then I show the, the early photographs when I, when I lecture. That's fantastic. Um, why do you think there's more activity in, in, in certain places as opposed to others? Well, I have discovered that there is more activity around deep bodies of water. And that, that's why I say, you know, I, I think they're probably, uh, they have bases underneath deep bodies of water. Around lakes, uh, along the uh, oceans, Atlantic, Pacific. Uh, in South America, I was told by a, a medical doctor and college professor down there, he has two PhDs and an MD, pretty smart guy. And he's been studying this and... Uh, there are people down there who are having communication with these entities. They call them in. The craft comes up out of the ocean and travels over to where they are, and, and they communicate. And the media has been there. They've seen it. There are hundreds of people who have witnessed this. So, wow. Yeah, I think that's pretty neat that... You know, some people uh, are able to actually communicate with these non-human entities, and they're very kind. Interesting, very interesting. Another, another thing I was thinking of when you talked about the people that had been um, taken aboard the ship and the aliens had talked about how or how they had gone to a, a Twilight Planet or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. I was just again going back to that program. I was telling you about aliens in Alaska. What a perfect place uh -huh. because of the fact that they spend half their year living, literally living in twilight mm -hmm. back over there. That's another area because you got yeah. the oceans out there and all that. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense, you know, with the ocean and all that, you know, to have them in concentrated places. I know for a long time, looking at different magazines over the years, a lot of stuff happened over in South American countries. Yes. Yes, it has. And it has for a long time. And yeah. the, the countries in South America take a, a different view of all of this than the American military does. And um, in Brazil, for example, um, the MUFON uh, man who used to be the MUFON director for all of Brazil, I've spoken down there and uh, they, he was meeting, he and his group would meet with the Brazilian military a couple of times a year and exchange and discuss cases. So they were very open-minded. Peru was another one. 
So there, I think Argentina as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember a lot of the photos that came out of, of these alleged craft were, were from those countries. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yes. Um, one more question really quick, because I know, you know, we've been on for an hour. That's what okay. we decided on. Unless you want to go longer, it's up to you. No, I, you know, I have, uh, have company. Gotcha. Anyway, I, I kind of figured this one. But um, I know a gentleman that lived in Shing Shingle Springs over here. Mm -hmm. And he is he's, he's one of the believers of the cabals, the, the, the alien cabals, where the government knows about it. And you've got aliens that are at war with each other and the government's making peace with it to keep the peace. Do you, do you believe in any of that stuff or, from what you found out? I am not a person who follows conspiracy theories. Okay. I do, you know, my own, ground, as I said, groundbreaking research. I go okay. to archival collections where I look for evidence. I look for evidence in government records uh, and wherever else I can get secure and believable evidence, uh, FBI files, for example. And I have a great deal of information, but gosh, I've... Uh, I, I'm not going to be an, a ufologist who is going to jump to conclusions without any evidence. Gotcha. Or without to see good evidence. I just wanted to see what you thought. That's all. Okay. Anyway, as always, thank you so much for being on. My pleasure. Good to speak with you again. And again, I would love to speak with you again. I could talk to you for hours and pick your brain. <laughs> I just think it's wonderful. Well, so, let's try it again this fall. Okay, let's do it this fall. That okay, sounds good to me. Good. Thank you so much, Kathleen. I really Thanks appreciate it. Thanks for having it. me on. And to everybody, please visit my website at kathleen-martin.com. You can acquire autographed copies of my books there. And there are some interesting free articles as well. And thank you for putting up with my questions and my silliness <laughs> and all that stuff. But I really, really appreciate it. Let's not make it 14 years this time. Let's do it in the fall. Okay, sounds great. Okay, Kathleen, thank you. All right, nobody go away. I have something to seriously to talk to you about. Let me get back up here. Okay. Wednesday's show. Um, I want to talk about Wednesday's show. That's going to be on. Um, as a paranormal investigator, let me tighten this up so it doesn't come down on me. As a paranormal investigator... We take, a, you know, we accept a certain amount of risk when we go out on investigations. And that risk is we don't know what we're dealing with. We don't know what's in the house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And things can happen that are, that are beyond our control when we're out in the field. Anyway, um, I've been doing this type of show for almost 18 years, off and on. Since I started this team, started out on Blog Talk. There did a hundred, a hundred plus shows there. Um, started doing this last September. We're in our thirty, our thirty fourth, thirty fifth show right now. And I can honestly say that I've never experienced anything like I did during Friday's interview. Um, it didn't shake me up because. I've been doing this long enough 
to accept that this stuff happens. But to have it come into my home through my laptop is kind of like what blew me away over it. Um, this is a pre-recorded show that's going to be on Wednesday, and it's unedited. You know, normally I'll go through and do editing on these things before I release them out. Not this time. I have got a sick dog with pancreas and kidney issues going right now. I've got a 17-year-old dog, and I've got a 13-year-old who he does his own thing. But in all, I also have my bird. I've got my two inside cats, my two outside cats. Because of what happened, I, I decided it was wise enough to not edit the video. I didn't want to bring that back into my house. Okay. Um, this was, the, the, the guest is scheduled to come on two more times. I'm going to make sure that I have a lot of protection around me for the next two interviews. Because she's really a fascinating guest. But I was, I was attacked by something. And um, I kept the camera rolling. I don't know if my facial expression changes during the attack. Because I was trying to stay as calm as I could. Because, of course, I was listening to her talk about you know, what went on during her childhood. But I can tell you what it felt like. As I was sitting here, I had the air conditioner on. And it felt like something had grabbed the top of my head and was squeezing it. And I sat here and sat here. And then the sweat started pouring off. And it was coming off in bucket loads. Now, remember, I had the air, the air conditioners on here in high. And it had been on since 10 o'clock that morning. So the room was really cool because I like a really cold room. As I'm listening to her speak, all this is going on and I started to get dizzy. So I reached over and did something I don't normally do during these shows, and you guys can vouch for that, I reached over and grabbed a bottle of water and started drinking the water. And at the same time, mentally, I told this thing to leave me alone because I, I knew immediately what was happening to me. Within a couple of minutes, within a half a minute, I felt, I started to feel like myself again. Um, a couple of minutes after that, as I'm talking to or questioning, you know, the lady I was interviewing, something falls in this room behind me. And you can see me actually react and turn around to see what it was. This wasn't the first thing that had, you know, this wasn't the main thing that had happened with this interview. In fact, the night before, and my sister who's online can verify, we have security lights out in front of my house that are motion sensitive. Well, I always uh, turn them off, especially around Christmas, because we don't want them going off. At, I don't want them going off at Christmas because Christmas lights. Those lights haven't been active in like 10 years. Because I tend to unscrew the light bulbs and, and all that, you know, to keep them. And then I forget to put them back in. Plus, I have like pathway lights running. As I was watching TV, the security, uh, the security light near my front door came on. Now, there's no, like I said, there's no reason for that light to come on. It hasn't done it in 10 years. So I go look. I get out there. It goes off. I go back, sit down. Two or three minutes later, light comes back on. And I thought, well, that's weird. Maybe the switch was on. So I go over to where the main switch is. The main switch is off. 
So I go back out front and I ask nicely. I said, look, I don't know who this is or who's messing with this, but please, you know, don't do it again. Or I'm going to like totally take the light bulb out. So it didn't happen again. So I kind of thought maybe it was one of those things, you know, maybe, maybe there was a short in there or something, but to have happened with my head and everything the next day during the interview makes more sense. So whether the, person I was interviewing had an attachment or what it came through and when I was talking to her and you'll find out because I have a conversation with her about it in that we had a lot of electrical issues where her her voice kind of gets stretched out you know that kind of thing that was going on too and she even laughs about it because people that have interviewed her in the past have had the same issues that I had so I'm not the only one that's happened to but that's what struck me as fun as weird is because I have entities in my house, but it's family, okay? So I don't know if it's because I'm in this room, but whatever this was came through my computer, you know, came, came through the laptop screen and was actually attacking me. Don't know what it wanted, don't know why it attacked me, but it, it did. I just want to share that with you and um, let you know because it'll be something for you to watch out for during the show because at one point, I think, when it starts to squeeze my head, you'll see me reach up and adjust my hat to see if maybe maybe this is in the wrong spot because I have a soft spot back here from a from a bike riding accident I had when I was in my 20s. So there's still a soft spot here. So I thought maybe this the, the headphones were like pressing on the soft spot at the time. So you'll see me adjust my hat. But it did happen and as quickly as it happened, it went away after I after I told it to leave. And again, Normally, when I'm on an investigation, if something like that happens, I, I will react with a flurry of foul language. But of course, being on the air, I can't do that because YouTube will kick me off. So I, YouTube and Facebook will put me in, for, put me in jail. You know, you, Facebook, YouTube jail. So I did not do that. But I encourage you to watch this video, this video on Wednesday because it's not only about me being attacked. It's about what this woman went through in her life. And again, she's going to be on a couple more times, so I'm going to have to really, really get the protection factor up on me and, and, and the rest of my house before, I, I, before she comes back on, maybe before I do another pre-record. But I can honestly say I'm glad I, I'm able to talk to this woman. She's a very sweet person, very, very enthusiastic, very, very informative, but it took me by surprise to have it come through like that because I had done like I said I had done this for years and not had any issues like that and this is and then that happened so I just want to give you guys a head up a, he a heads up so you know what to look for on Wednesday because it happens on what happens I don't know if it's midway or towards the end of the interview and just an FYI like I said I didn't do any editing I left it I left it alone so it's just it's going to go as is because I didn't want to risk anything happening to my animals so keep an eye out for that, and I'll try and um, not only have it set up for YouTube, but I'll try and get a link uh, to the live YouTube feed on Facebook tonight to put that together so you guys can, can get ready to link up to that. And that'll be, that'll be our, well, yeah, 6.30 start time. Okay, or 6.25 rather, because I did put the, um, the, the five-minute lead on there. So we'll have 6.25 start time. But just keep an eye out for it, because this is what happened during this interview, and uh, it was wild. It was really, really wild when it happened. And, and it was live, so everything got recorded. 
but I just want to let you know. I mean, it does happen, you know, and uh, I don't think I've ever, I mean, I've had encounters on investigations where I physically have felt stuff, but I've never had one, like, grab my head like that and squeeze. So that was a new one for me, the, the, the way it came at me. But uh, that's the risk you, you know, that's, that's the risk you take when you do this kind of work. And um, that's all I, as Morris Gump would say, that is all I have to say about that. But keep an eye out for this interview that, that I did. And again, she's going to be coming back on the 16th of July to do another interview. And then she'll be back in August to another interview. I mean, she has so much that happened to her in her life that we have to do this three, three or four times to just get the information out because there's so much went on and you will recognize who she is. You will, re you will recognize the story that she has to tell. It was a story that was documented on, in, in a couple of TV movies. So you'll get to see that, you know, you'll, you'll recognize who it is. Um, but like, like I said, in an effort to protect my animals here at the house, I did not edit this video. So you'll see it raw, you know, without, without any editing. Okay. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming tonight, and if you can find it in your heart to uh, help us keep more exciting, help us keep more exciting and informative guests to the show, uh, donate four or five, uh, you know, donate five six dollars for it, and uh, help me pay for all the stuff that comes out of pocket. Yeah, California Haunts is a nonprofit paranormal group. We don't take money for doing investigations; it's all donations. So if you can find it in your heart to help us out, that'd be great. But I appreciate you all coming. I appreciate each and every one of you because you're all special. <laughs> I can say that. But um, there we go. Thank you so much. And I'll give you some contact information on how to check out Kathleen's website and her books. And hopefully we'll get to see Kathleen again in the fall because I'm just absolutely fascinated by uh, her studies with MUFON. So here's this for you to take a look at. And now I get to say goodnight. Have a good evening, you guys.